The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Swartbox. Let's get into your headlines this hour. The Fed signals rate cuts to come as it leaves the key rate unchanged. Meanwhile, Chairman Jerome Powell flags concerns about the health of the U.S. economy. In light of increased uncertainties and muted inflation pressures, we now emphasize that the committee will closely monitor the implications of incoming information for the economic outlook and will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. U.S. stocks rise while the 10-year Treasury yield drops below 2% for the first time since 2016 on the dovish Fed. So fresh hopes for a U.S.-China trade deal boosting Chinese shares as Huawei CEO tells CNBC exclusively he's not worried about a U.S. ban on his company. We believe the 30 billion U.S. dollars will be a very small thing. And we can withstand that. We are not a public company. We don't attach importance to high numbers. We focus on the performance, the quality of the performance. Plus, new unconfirmed reports suggest Deutsche Bank is under federal investigation in the US for failing to stop money laundering that could involve President Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. EU leaders prepared to battle it out over who will assume the bloc's top jobs as European Council President Donald Tusk says he's cautiously optimistic officials will reach an agreement. The Federal Reserve signaled a possible rate cut in coming months as it kept key interest rates on hold at its June meeting, citing rising uncertainties in the economic outlook. Chair Jerome Powell said, quote, the case for somewhat more accommodative policy has strengthened. FOMC members voted nine to one to keep interest rates on hold with St. Louis Fed President James Bullard voting for a cut. In its post-meeting statement, the Fed dropped its reference for patient policy, instead saying it will, quote, act as appropriate. Powell said it was crucial to take into account all the incoming data. A number of those who wrote down a flat rate path agree that the case for additional accommodation has strengthened since our May meeting. Uncertainties surrounding the baseline outlook have clearly risen since our last meeting. It's important, however, that monetary policy not overreact to any individual data point or short-term swing in sentiment. Doing so would risk adding even more uncertainty to the outlook. So we've got lots of analysis coming up, including by our guest Scott Till in a few moments' time. So let me just run through these markets and show you what the actual reaction was to uh, a bit of a switch from the Fed, really. Certainly an easing bias coming in now as well. The, the markets on the equities, have a look at these three indices. And, and the thing that might strike you is, well, they've moved to the upside, but they weren't really uh, gangbusters to the upside on the back of it. But let me put that in context. We are... Uh, barely a uh, couple of percent away from the all-time high uh, on the Nasdaq Composite, 2.3%. We're around about 0.9 of a percent away from the all-time high on the S&P 500 and around about 1.66% away from the all-time high on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So we have had an almighty rally back 
uh, towards those levels and uh, an assault on those record highs uh, would seem fairly logical given the uh, positive reception that uh, Mr Powell's comments got yesterday and uh, the potential potential uh, for a cut in rates as early as July. I think some people are saying it's a 100% chance that we're going to get one, which seems quite extraordinary given what they were saying only a few days ago. And the likes of Goldman saying we didn't think we'd get one in 2019. So fascinating to see what that kind of uh, commentary um, comes from the likes of Goldman's uh, following this press conference and rate decision. Let's have a look at the yields on the treasuries as well. Uh, we're now sub 2% on the 10-year, sub 2%, 1.987% on the 10-year paper. The two-year paper, you'll note, 1.73, as indeed is the five-year. Uh, out at 30 years, you get 2.5% for your money. It'd be very interesting to look at the 30-year mortgage rates and see if they've come in at all, uh, given what we've seen from the Fed. Let's have a look at various other asset classes as well. Uh, gold not doing a lot, actually. 30, well, I say not doing a lot. 1378 is the price I've got there. Wow, that is a huge spike actually uh, from where the last print I saw was, where it was challenging around about 1350. So a big move to the upside there. Or all kinds of worries then, I guess, coming in about the implications uh, and people just putting their money back into the gold market. We were talking with Charlie Morris yesterday uh, and the concerns about whether it was challenged at around 1350. But According to that, we are going gangbusters. There you are. Uh, Brent Crude and WTI both rallying strongly off their recent lows with a 60 and a 51 handle uh, for those two products, respectively. Dollar crosses as well. One thing that's, again, very interesting is the dollar has had uh, a bit of a pummeling versus various currencies. You'll recall the president lambasting Mr Draghi's policies. And we were saying, well, does he really lambast them because he just wants to see the same thing on his side of the Atlantic? Anyway, 112.64 as opposed to the 111 handle we saw previously. And cable as well. Well, hang on a second. 24 hours ago, you were all worried about Brexit, hard Brexit, Boris Johnson, and that took it down towards 125. Now it still looks like the same scenario, and yet we're up near 127. How fickle we are in Forex world as well. Just a quick one on the dollar yuan as well. Uh, 687 away from the 690 level we saw in the previous session. Asian indices also rallying strongly, as we heard in the headlines. A 2.6% move to the upside on the Shanghai Composite. In fact, let's have a look at those Chinese markets in a bit more detail, actually, because uh, very strong moves up there. Shenzhen, 2.2%. Uh, but look at this, the CSI 300, 3.3% to the good. So, Mr. Jerome Powell also commenting, uh, as you might expect in the Q&A, on the recent criticism uh, that has been directed at him by the president. I think the law is clear that I have a four-year term, and I, I fully intend to serve it. Uh, Scott Teal is with us, Chief Fixed Income Strategist at BlackRock. Scott, very good morning to you. Um, open question, what do you think of the Fed announcement? Well, I mean, I think the most interesting thing was the dot plot revision downward, right? So we've had a big move down in expectations even for 2020. So now basically a 50 basis point kind of easing over, over the course of the next kind of year and a half. And that, I think, is a big shift. Obviously, the Fed has moved from patience to vigilance, right? And so now we're in this phase where I think the bar for Fed policy easing is very, very low for the July meeting. And the expectations are built in pretty strongly. Um, and I think the market is obviously reacting to that we've seen a huge rally in the front end of the U.S., right, in particular from where we were, you know, la end of last year, right, we have more than 100 basis point rally now in the two-year from October of last year, which just reflects this, you know, this shift. We had, a, we had tightening, patience, 
and now we're back to this kind of vigilant The stance. market reaction was interesting. Do you mm. think it was appropriate, given that this is still an economy that's, you know, mm. heading along at about 3% growth at the moment, uh, unemployment is very low, inflation is somewhat near 2%, we may not have hit the number, but we're there or thereabouts. Shouldn't the market be looking at this and saying, not, woohoo, this is an opportunity to bid risk higher. Shouldn't they be asking, what is Jay Powell seeing that isn't showing up in the data already at this point? Well, I mean, I think there's a confluence of a number of factors, right? One is that in general, the economy has slowed at the margin, particularly the manufacturing sector. Other parts of the economy look to be, you know, still relatively firm. There's been a big drop in inflation expectations, and you can't ignore that, particularly if you're at the Fed. If you look at inflation break-evens for 10 years, they've gone from roughly 2% a couple months ago kind of 165 now. So that's a big shift lower in inflation expectations. And then lastly, you know, the market is very focused on concerns around trade, not just the Chinese-U.S. trade negotiations, but this broader idea that the U.S. is now a source of policy volatility going forward. So that impacts market sentiment and it impacts sentiment in the real economy. And then, of course, ECB policy was, you know, was very, very uh, underscored the easiness of that at, uh, at, at President Draghi's most recent speech. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's built up here over a very short period of time. I take which your makes point on trade, yeah. but the, the reality is that if there was a deal with the U.S. and China, a big deal, two presidents signing yeah. up a handshake and two strokes of the yeah. pen, you could have some of the negativity disappearing straight away. No doubt. And very, very quickly. Which means that the Fed is then very responsive. And instead of a Fed that's looking down the track, what type of conditions have we got trying to anticipate? You've got a Fed that's very jumpy. On top of a Fed that's very jumpy, you've had an attack from the White House to, yeah. to Powell, yeah. in effectively trying to demote him in recent months. Yeah. So has the Fed been undermined by, by the White House? Well, no, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously there's this political dynamic between the president and, 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 the, and the chair. And I mean, I think that that is, that is part of the pressure that he must feel as part of the job. I mean, you know, from, again, from his statements that he made and from, his, uh, from the press conference and the release, he's doing his job, right? He is reacting to the information set that they get. But what I think they're saying is that they're ready to react if they need to be. And I take it, and I think the market will react very positively from a risk perspective and negatively from an interest rate perspective if we get a very solid Chinese-U.S. trade deal. That's on the interim, obviously, the longer-term impacts we have to see. How much, good morning, Chief Scott, morning. how much does this affect real America rather than stock markets? And I do actually yeah, think yeah, there is a difference yeah. between the two. And I'll just um, give some context on that as well. I've just pulled up myself a chart of 30-year mortgage rates in the U.S. as well, which I think is a a key indicator for yep. most Americans as well. Back in November, the rate, which I think it will be fascinated to know, was 4.94% for 30-year mortgage rates. That was an average level. It's already, before we've had any rate action whatsoever from the mm -hmm. Fed, down to 3.8 now. So we've come off on 30-year mortgage rates 1.1%, which right. is huge, right. considering that we've done nothing on the Fed in the meantime as well. So I asked the question, has the market already taken a lot of action on interest rates that affect real America before these interest rates, which maybe just affect Wall Street? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the depression in rates is, a, is another positive factor for the U.S. consumer, right? And so if we look at the economy, employment is very, very strong. Inflation is very, very low. Interest rates have fallen. This is really positive for consumer spending. So in some respects, that's the the feed through into the real economy is through the, you know, through the But, but the that's not the, my point being, Scott, yeah. I, you know where I'm coming from anyway, is that's, that's what he happened. Yeah. 
So regardless of what the Fed has or hasn't done, we come off 1.1% on 30-year mortgage rates. That's huge. It's true. But, but again, the market is looking for affirmation, confirmation from the Fed to keep that kind of forward path of interest rates where it is, which is when it comes back to the previous question, which is where the delivery is, is as important sometimes as the kind of the call earlier. So with the 10-year um, now sub 2%, yeah. um, it, it looks difficult to argue there's a lot of value in the U.S. curve. For, for anybody that wants to own fixed income uh, sovereign. Where do you think in your space there is any opportunity to make money? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we had flagged this earlier in, in the year, which is this concept that, you know, income is king, right? Yield is attractive for investors. Now, there has been a fall in yield at an index level. So if you include spreads for credit, high yield, emerging markets, um, more recently because of the fall in rates. But if we're in a period where the economy is not really rolling over by any means and we have a kind of easier monetary policy, I still think income is king, you know, long live the king. Income is still relevant, obviously at a slightly lower level. But remember, spreads have widened to some degree as treasuries have rallied. So as an all-in yield for investors, it's come down, but not as much as treasury rates. It hasn't moved much, has no, it? it hasn't. I mean, what, on, on a quality corporate, you're, you're what, 1.2, 1.3? Yeah, at index level, you know, you've had 25, 30 basis point rally. So it's not, it's yeah. not as dramatic as you have I mean, at treasuries. Even, what, quality junk is only 3% or so. Yeah, EM index is, you know, f almost uh, 5 and 7 eighths. Yeah, you're scratching around, aren't you, really? Yeah. What's a normal number? Because don't you get, you know, pre-crisis, everybody was seeking these very high percentage returns, and yeah. then we had the financial crisis, and a lot of market commentators said, well, that was extraordinary. You shouldn't have expected those sort of returns over the long term anyway. Mm -hmm. What's normal now if people who are looking for yield have expectations? What would you tell them about their expectations? What should the level be? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, obviously it depends on your benchmark, it depends on your market, but what we would say is that the yield of the index that you're faced with, so two and three quarters, depending on the particular index that you're in, or 2% if you're a global investor, that's most likely what you're going to receive because we're in a period where in, in, rates aren't really rising. Mm. Um, the economy, again, is relatively strong. And so you may get some capital appreciation from further falling rates if, if, the, if the Fed continues to cut or begins a cutting cycle. But I think the yield on the index is a very good indication. So if you're seeking more than that, you're in risky territory. You, or you're expecting some capital appreciation. Mm. Scott, thank you very much for that. Uh, we're going to squeeze in uh, a quick um, break, but uh, just tell you what's coming up as well around the Bank of Japan, which warned of escalating global risks as it kept monetary policy unchanged. The central bank maintained its interest rate targets and reiterated its position of further easing if economic growth veers off course among the risks raised by Governor Haruhiko Kuroda, rising protectionism and uncertainty over U.S. economic policy. And if you just can't get enough on central banks, then you are in luck this morning. Stick or twist, we will be live from the Bank of England ahead of the central bank's latest rate decision. If you love a London red bus, stay with us this morning. You'll see plenty. Meantime, but don't forget, we have our podcast. You can tune in for that. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. And here's some opening calls for you to go to break. And how exciting. This is interesting. You've got the pound going up and the FTSE going up. There's a rarity. The Bank of England is widely expected to hold rates later today while reaffirming the potential for a hike in coming months. Let's get out to Jemana, who's outside the Bank of England. What a remarkable statement to read into you. And that's the dilemma here, isn't it? Because 
even as the d data is weakening and we have this uncertainty around Brexit, it seems the, the tag team of chief economist and head of the central bank want to put the market on notice that they'd be inclined to lift rather than cut at this stage. Uh, you know, you set the stage beautifully for me, Jeff. Uh, let's unpick a couple of things that you said. But yes, I mean, this is this is fundamentally the issue today. There's a dichotomy, dichotomy between what the market is expecting out of the Bank of England versus the communication that they themselves have been giving to the market. You're very right in that a couple of members of the MPC in the last couple of weeks have actually uh, struck a chord with this more hawkish messaging that they've been giving out. Most notably, we heard from Deputy Governor Ben Broadbent recently, who said that uh, who, uh, eventually they do see excess demand emerging over their forecast horizon, which would actually entail rate cuts at some point, rate hikes at some point in the future. We heard from the chief economist, Andy Haldane, who said that rate hikes now would be better in terms of uh, bringing the timing forwards in terms of uh, uh, preempting further rate hikes to come in the future. So they're uh, talking about the timing of that. And then, of course, the language that they've been using to talk about the monetary policy path is still insisting on this limited and gradual monetary policy timing uh, over their forecast horizon. So they're still using that limited and gradual language. Now, you're right in that the data recently has been a little bit mixed. For April, the GDP print came in at a negative number, a negative 0.4%. But let's not forget that the first quarter GDP did indeed come a lot higher at 0.5% positive due to some stockpiling effects. So all in all, it's kind of the, the, the data has been quite volatile and a lot of the weakness that they said can be attributed back to Brexit uncertainty, either on the good side, so the stockpiling numbers for Q1 were positive, or on the negative side around April as well. So they showed a willingness to look through some of the short-term data. One thing I want to stress as well, though, is if you look at uh, the inflation expectations in the UK, something stands out here, and it's different from all other central banks in the world. If you look at ECB in Europe, five-year, five-year inflation, all-time lows. If you look at US, five-year, five-year inflation continue to drop. UK, however, inflation expectations continue to be on the rise. Whether we can point that back to the currency, whether it's a function of them keeping rates at a very low rate relative to what the market thinks they should be, questions are debatable. But the point is that inflation expectations, which is what central banks in theory should be looking at, are on the rise in the UK. So it does give them a little bit of pretense for keeping that hawkish bias when it comes to the statements later today. That's certainly one thing to keep an eye on. But the bigger picture is, look, we're on the heels of an extremely dovish Fed yesterday, very dovish European Central Bank. The Bank of England are standing out when it comes to their willingness to go on and persevere with rate hikes in an environment where there's still a lot of Brexit uncertainty. They've always worked on the assumption that there's going to be a smooth transition, debatable whether or not that's going to happen, given that most of the prime minister contenders who are left now are still, are still showing a preference for no deal over a bad deal. And then you've also got the external conditions as well. The global growth environment has slowed down. Uh, you hear of all other central banks warning about the slowdown in, in external demand. And yet the Bank of England don't seem to be taking it as seriously as some of their counterparts. So it'll be very interesting today whether or not they keep that hawkish line and whether or not they keep the, the wording unlimited and gradual or whether there will be some change to that. But certainly the communication out of the MPC has been a little bit more hawkish recently. No one's expecting an actual dissent, though. People are still expecting a 9-0 vote for rates unchanged. Uh, lovely. Thank you.
Um, the world's gone mad, Scott Teal, hasn't it? I mean, <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm reading. I mean, dare I say it, they've got a bit of form of flipping and flopping mm. at the Bank of England. Um, but was it Unreliable Boyfriend, wasn't it, the original tag? Uh, yes, it dare was. I say it, our Canadian friend? Yes. Uh, but, the, but the truth of the matter is, if you even keep rates on hold, then you're going to be more hawkish than t'others at the moment because we know the New Zealanders mm. back in May uh, became the first developed world economy to cut rates as well. The US apparently is 100% chance now, uh, which I'm slightly sceptical about. But anyway, let's go with it. 100% chance uh, for July cut as well. Even if the Bank of England stays where it is, that will be a boost for the pound and, and, and make us look more hawkish in comparison, won't it? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. One is that, you know, we look at cable, but actually the real exchange rate for the UK would be euro sterling, right. which has moved to the top end of its range recently. So there has been some weakness, idiosyncratic weakness in the pound. Well, I've noticed a surge in, in inflation, Scott. Oh, no, it hasn't, has it? <laughs> but I mean, I think one of the things that would, we would note is the volatility in policy yes. has gone up, right? So the US is, has a rate hiking cycle. Mm. Now they're paused. And again, I, mean, I think we'd be careful. I think the market is priced 100% for the rate cut. Doesn't mean yes. the Fed will deliver it. Right. But, but just, just going back to the Bank of England very yeah. briefly, <clears throat> if I may, can you see any merit in signaling a rate hike? Well, I mean, I think that they have a very tricky situation because they obviously have a huge amount of po policy uncertainty coming, uh, political uncertainty coming forward. Um, and in the current environment, we are seeing you know, signs that the global economy is slowing with respect to kind of concerns about trade. So maybe it would be difficult for them to signal any substantial change I'm going to ask you one policy. more time, because I think you're being very diplomatic here as well. <laughs> in what world, in what Brexit scenario, would we have rate hikes and as a sensible policy initiative? Well, I mean, I think that the, the, the Bank of England has to, has to react to the economy not and incorporate the uncer political uncertainty. Um, and so, you know, g given that I don't have a clear outcome as to what's going to no, happen in but Brexit. Not, but I can't think of a Brexit scenario at the moment which is going to get people going gangbusters for the UK economy and think, hang, hang on a second, we need to be hiking rates when the ECB has already signalled at Sintra this week they are going to be having an easing bias. The Fed has signalled this week mm. it's going to have an easing bias. And the New Zealanders are the first already to go, go their way already. Yeah, and the Chinese I, are putting I, stimulus I, in. The European, everyone's putting stimulus in. I think in. that's right. But I also think that the, the market has really pushed back any kind of ultimate outcome on Brexit. Mm. So regardless of what you think about the politics, even with this October deadline, if you look at volatility in the FX market, it's pretty subdued through that through Halloween. And so, you know, I would I would push back a little bit on what you say in the sense sure. that if we do get an actual resolution to the Brexit situation, so a clear, uh, clear political uh, situation and then uh, comments from the government as to what actually the steps are going to take. I actually think that you could see a, you know, a, a reasonable shift back in, in the UK economy and the UK rate market. Remember, UK rates have rallied almost as much as bonds and treasuries this year. And that's a function of this flight to quality, right? They've, ra they've rallied a little bit less. Sovereign rallied, enough. not Sovereign rates, credit. yeah. Yeah, exactly, gilts. Can I take an alternative yeah. view, which is around the ammunition that the Bank of England has? Mm -hmm. so, so the market has you know, priced in, and this is this language of yeah. a, a rate hike power in words if the economy weakens they could just go back to neutral so already you've delivered some stimulus through an intangible being words so, yeah. so it's positive when we've got this uncertain time frame around brexit yeah. right that's right and i also think that i think we need to make sure to keep in mind and draghi really emphasized this at the ecb meeting that policymakers can do quite a lot actually right and even even if he if on paper he seems to be hamstrung by the qe program the percentage of bonds that they own the negative rates He's dismissed that and said, we can do what we need to do to help the economy, right, or help our mandate. And I think that's the same case with the Bank of England. Just very briefly, is inflation dead and buried, or is it worth owning some linkers? 
This, I think, is an incredibly important question, which I think is something we really have to take a look at going, taking a step further back. Because you can make an argument very easily that this whole, uh, the trade negotiations and the trade tension and the U.S. use of policy, tariff policy, to target non-economic outcomes, so the immigration situation in Mexico, could lead to a deglobalization of trade, which, again, two camps to argue. One argument very strongly, though, is that that is actually inflationary. Mm. And so I, I would say that we have to all reflect on the path of inflation. In fact, at BlackRock, we are debating that this week as to how the outcome of, of how the current outcome will be either deflationary or inflationary. And you lean in which camp? My own view is that it's, it's longer term more inflationary and therefore there's an opportunity to own inflation protection. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.